Dear Lord, we pray that in this time that you would speak to us, that you guide our thoughts, and that you would watch over us, Lord. Seek us, Lord, when we are lost, and rejoice over us, Lord, when we are found again. May the words of my mouth and meditations of all our hearts, O Lord, be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Do you know, I'm really proud of our MYF uh, youth. Would you give them another hand of uh, celebration? They've, they've been working hard and, uh, you know, they've come together and I think they've had a lot of fun together. And uh, I'm wearing grey together with them. They gave me a t-shirt and said, you know, here's an here's a MYF t-shirt. And I said, I'd love to wear this except that I have to wear a collar. Uh, so maybe next time, uh, you know, there'll be a way to wear a T-shirt and a collar. It's part of my part of my calling. Now, um, when when we talked, and he said, you know, what what do we wanna what do you wanna do as a theme for MYF? Um, one of the things we said was many of our youth disappear uh, between the ages of 18 to 35. In fact, in most churches, that's one band of people that is missing in churches. Uh, just yesterday, we were joking around. They said, you know, the national statistic in Penang is that those above 65 are supposed to form 8% of the total Penang population. 8%. In our church, I think those above 50 form at least 60-70%. So what it does mean that uh, what is not visible or not noticed is that many of our young people are missing. Commentators who study this in the church uh, actually say these are what we call the lost generation. Lost in the sense that they're out there somewhere. We're not sure exactly where they're at. Many of our youths, uh, one of the reasons why they live why they leave is uh, at the age of 17, they finish Form 5 if they went to Kabangsaan school. Or if you went to a private school, maybe between the age of 16 and 17, you would have finished your A-levels or your equivalent. So you finish your O-levels or the equivalent. And so by the time you hit 18, 19, 20, you go off to college, sometimes away from Penang. And here's one thing I discovered about Penang people. Penang people, the island is Penang. <laughs> Anywhere outside of island is overseas. <laughs> you literally you go over the sea, la. <laughs> and so everything there is far away. So many of our youths go and leave, and they go to you know I don't know maybe they go down to KL, Klang Valley, or some other place, Singapore, or even overseas. And like Timothy in this story, they encounter different cultures, different environments where they want to fit in. Where they want to fit in. Now, I've taken this passage, Luke chapter uh, 15. And if you have your Bible with you, I'd like you to open it up and, and keep it open. Now, Luke chapter 15 is an interesting passage because it is a story about lostness. It is essentially a story about lost people. And so, what is the context that is happening? Uh, it begins in chapter 15, verse 1. The tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. So, you have a scene here where Jesus is, you know, partying. 
He's drinking wine with them. He's having food with them. And the Jewish people felt that, hang on, if, you, if you're eating with these sinners, then you are associating with them. And that's exactly what happens in verse 2. Uh, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered. They mumbled to themselves, grumble, grumble, grumble. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They're grumbling under their breath. Now, this is what they say about Jesus. This is not what Jesus says about himself. But this is what they say about this. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And the next sentence goes, Then Jesus told them this parable. Then Jesus told them this parable. Now, we might think that this is one parable. But what comes after that is actually a series of stories. Okay, so I want you to remember the context. Context is Jesus is having dinner with a bunch of known sinners. Okay, they are tax collectors who are outcasts in society, seen as traitors, and they are sinners. It could be prostitutes, it could be gamblers, it could be your local drug kingpin or the local gangster. Okay, the sinners come and they have meals with them. The Pharisees and Sadducees then in response to what these people are mumbling or muttering about, Jesus tells this parable, singular, parable, one. What happens after that? Now, most of you, you went to Sunday school, so you probably remember this story. It is a story of the lost. And the first one is what? A lost sheep, okay? You, you remember the story? Uh, a shepherd had a hundred sheep. One of the sheep goes missing. What does he do? He leaves the sheep, goes searching for the sheep, and when he finds it, he carries it on his shoulder and brings it back and rejoices. And he tells them, I've found my lost sheep, rejoice with me. Okay? When he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder, goes home, and he calls his friends and neighbours together, says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Now, that's one parable? No, because he immediately continues uh, with the next story. He says, or, okay, you follow with me, uh, verse 8. Okay, so if you've got your Bible open, verse 8, the parable doesn't end. The parable continues on. Or, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. So the next story is about what? Yeah, the lost coin. 10 coins, one coin goes missing. What happens? She, she throws the whole house upside down looking for this one coin. Now, have you ever done that before? Uh, I had a friend, you know, last time they lost their diamond earring <laughs> or they lost their, their, their ring. Whole house turned upside down looking for it. What happens again? When she finds it, she calls everybody and says, Rejoice with me. I lost this. I found it. Celebration. Okay? So now you have a pattern here. One to a hundred, okay? And the next one is one to ten. Whatever is lost, you seek it like crazy, turn out the whole world, find, 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 find. You find it, then celebrate when you find it. You bring it back, celebrate. Question, the third story, who's lost? Okay, so is it the son or is it the brother? I know in your NIV Bibles, it will say there, 
the parable of the lost son. Remember again, huh? Jesus, and then Jesus tells a parable, one parable, and the parable begins with the lost sheep, and then in verse 8, or suppose, which means he continues the parable. Okay? And then at the end of it, in verse 11, are you at verse 11? How does it begin? You read it with me. One to go. Jesus continued. <laughs> Which means this third story is still part of that same parable. Now, I ask you this. If it is a parable of the lost son, what is the ratio? One to two, right? And if you look at that sequence, what is the orderly sequence? 1 to 100, 1 to 10, 1 to 2? So what should it be? 1 to 100, 1 to 10, 1 to 1. If it's 1 to 1, then who's lost? Brother. I had one brother and I lost that brother. And you find in verse 11 to 31, is this the longest parable or the longest story out of that three stories. And this long story goes on to say, this man had a son and the son demanded of his father, says, give me my share of the inheritance. Has that ever happened to you? Your son comes up to you while you're still alive and he says to you, give me my share of the inheritance. Sadly, I have heard it happen twice in my lifetime. Not me, but I had people come to me and say, my son or my daughter is asking me, hey, you hold on to this money for what? You give it to me now. Lah. I need it now. I want to buy this car that I've been eyeing. I want to buy this house. How would you feel? I mean, if you were me, I, you know, if I was prone to violence, I'll take the biggest stick that I can find. <laughs> Whack this fellow, get out of my house. That's the same feeling this father would have had. But there's no story about that. There's nothing. All he says is, the father gave him his share. Now, what did the son do? The son sold everything, collected it in liquid cash, <laughs> and went to another land. Now, if you have a 10-acre piece of land and you divide it between the two of them, it says, okay, I give my inheritance. Okay. How would you do it? Maybe you say, okay, 50-50. Or you might say, no, 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 there's, uh, there's still, I'm still alive. <laughs> so I keep 30% for myself and then uh, another, another 60% I give out. Laugh. 30 for you, 30. Whichever way it is, if I have a piece of land and it's subdivided and this hopeless son <laughs> says, give me my inheritance now and he sells it off, it means a portion of your land is going to be broken off. Now, you can't do this quietly. You can't do this, uh, you know, uh, without people knowing. So obviously, the whole kampong, <laughs> the whole community knows my goodness, that son, huh? 
cursed the father, wished he was dead, said, give me my share, sold it off and disappeared. The story continues. The son is pursuing the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. The common sin that we always hunt, good for food, good to the eyes and desirable for gaining wisdom. He goes there seeking the world, wanting to know about himself and he finds false friends. When he's there and he's partying and he's drinking and he's spending it all on these women, many friends, but a drought comes, a famine comes and at that moment when he runs out of cash, zero, everybody disappears. Very much like what our MYF guys did. In this life, you will have many friends as long as you are popular, but they are really fake friends. And this young man suddenly realizes, okay, I have sinned. I've sinned against God and against one and uh, against God, against my father. And it says, even the pigs have got better stuff. And you remember Jewish culture, pig is haram. <laughs> haram. Cannot touch. And here he is feeding the pigs. And he says, what they get is even better than what I had. You know, when I was back in my father's house, I had all the things that I needed. Even my servants were never hungry. So he decides, I'm going to go back. So I, I close this one here. Who's missing is the brother. Not the, not, the, uh, not the son. But the brother is the one that's missing. So we have this story about the younger son but the younger brother who is missing. He comes to repentance and he turns. What is repentance? Repentance is when you turn from the way that you're going and you return back to that which is right and good. So this whole story about lost, seek, found, in this case, the brother did not go. Remember the pattern of this story. When what is lost is lost, you go and seek it out. And you seek it out until you find it. And when you found it, you rejoice. So if the focus of this story is not the father or the lost son, who's the focus on? The brother. Because the pattern of the story is when something is lost, you go and seek it. Oi, elder brother... You had only one brother and your brother has gone lost. Did you go and seek him out? No. Did you even find him? No. And you must understand, Jewish culture, if your father is elderly, it's the responsibility of the brother to do what is needed for the household. It would be really shameful if the elder father goes and seeks him out. No shame, uh. you son of yours, uh, sold off all your property, gone off and squandered it. Now you are going to uh, go and look for him. Is that kind of shame? But the brother, the brother should be there. He say, hey, you're the elder brother. You, you, know, you, you guard the honour of your family. You should be going and seeking him out and bringing him back in. Now, here's the clincher of this story. The parable happens, right? The father goes running out, sees him from a distance, runs out. Uh, I didn't wear my sarong today. But you know, in the ancient Near East, their clothing 
They wear long, like sarong lah. It's long. So for an old man to see his son from a distance pull up his, his long uh, thingy and run, culturally is a no-no. You are showing your ankles. Old man, knobbly knees. He's running there. And he's going up to there. And it's shameful because he's running through the village. My son is back. My son is back. He's lost, but I found him. And he meets him halfway. And what does he do? He calls his servants, bring the robe, cover up his shame. It's symbolic, you know, because in the culture, even if you are a beggar and you've got really tattered clothes, but I bring a robe and cover you up so that your shame is covered. Not only that, he says, get the ring, give him the ring. What is the point of the ring? Now, uh, in ancient times, the ring is a sign of the family insignia or the sign of kinship. So if I wanted to show you that I'm of this court or I'm of this family, I show you the ring. Okay. In certain parts of uh, Phi Beta Kappa in the US, they do the same thing. You are part of our group and I give you this ring. So what he's done is he has reinstated this useless son. <laughs> you, you, he probably sold it off and he says, reinstate him. And the third one is he says, go and take the fatter calf and go and kill it because we are going to party. <laughs> now, the clincher of the story, the focus of the story, the brother. Brother sees all this noise, comes back and says, how could you do this? This useless son who's gone out, sold off all your property and spent it on prostitutes, how can you do this? And here I am, I've been slaving all over this. I've been slaving all over this time. And you give me nothing. The brother is spiritually lost. Both the younger and the elder. The only difference is geography. <laughs> the younger brother is geographically far away. He's lost. But he repents, he turns, and he comes back. The elder brother is geographically close to the father, but he is equally spiritually lost. Because his comments is, all these years I've been slaving for you, and you didn't give me a single kid goat, small little goat. You, you, you kill a fatted calf for this useless good-for-nothing, and I've been here faithfully slaving for you. You give me nothing. Now, Jesus' story in this parable is a simile, because that's what parables are. They are stories that are thrown out there in order to compare the two. And so for the listeners who are listening, Jesus is super-duper smart. Lah. I tell you this. He's super smart that he can slap these people without them even realizing it by telling this story. He addresses three, you know, two clear groups of people. The first group of people is, you know, he's feasting with these sinners and these tax collectors, these who are lost. 
the younger brother is representing them. You guys who are spending all your money on feasting and drinking and merry-making. So he addresses them. You're the lost son. You've gone far away from your father. And he's a spiritual man who's talking about father in heaven. You've gone really far away and you're squandering your wealth on these things that are frivolous. So he speaks immediately to this group of people who are there listening to him. But he's also speaking to this second group, the elder brother, the religious purist. How can you have makan with these people? You are corrupting yourself like them. And so the elder brother is like them. Because Jesus is seeking them out and bringing them home. And how does the parable end? The brother says, all this while, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet, you never da-da-da-da-da-da. How many of us, although we are in church, how many of our youth, although they are in MYF or they are in church, they are also still spiritually lost? All this while, I've been here, I've been attending service, I've been following your instructions, I've been standing when you ask me to, sitting when you ask me to, giving when you ask me to, but God never blesses me. Because the attitude of the elder brother is, I've been slaving. It's not a relationship of love. It's a relationship of fear and an equation. If I do this for you, you should be doing this for me. I'm only doing this in order for you to give me what I want. It wasn't an action of love. So how many of our youths come because they really love each other and they really love what they are encountering in God? And how many are coming only because they are being forced to? Let me issue three challenges for you. Whom are you seeking for? Are you, as brothers and sisters, seeking out your brother? I had a friend who uh, unfortunately had a son who was born to him with a congenital birth defect. And they, he survived. But between the age of seven or nine, I kind of forget now because it was almost 15 years ago, his son passed away. He had uh, two, two other children and this was his third one, his youngest child. But I remember at the committal when we were burying his son, he came up to give his last words, the father. And he said, the boy's name, you are my son, but you are also my brother because you are a brother in Christ. And what God has given to me as a steward over, I now return back to God. Your journey on this life is ended and my responsibility is done with. And I return him back to you. Lord, take care of my brother. Many of us, when we look at our children, we say, you my son, you better shut up and listen to me. You my daughter, don't argue with me. 
dress the way I tell you to do, do what I tell you to do, all this. But remember, brothers and sisters, they may be biologically or age-wise younger, but they are spiritually your brother, your sister. And we all need to be found in each other and to repent and return back to the Lord. So do not presume that because your children are geographically in church, that they are spiritually not lost. This is my sincere plea to you because many of our children never really find God. I think when you listen to that play, what really spoke to my heart, because I said to the, to the youth, you know, don't make this drama so simple that, oh, you know, you become Christian, you everything really good. No, that's not true. You become Christian sometimes really hard. And I think they really hit the nail. I'm here, I'm doing it. I want to hear God, but I don't hear God. And to be honest, I think some of the parents also feel the same way. Yeah, I'm here, I'm doing these things, but sometimes I don't really hear God. But I like what Ivan said. Truth. He's there. Even if you don't recognize Him, know the truth. God is spirit, and he who worships God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And if your spirit sometimes doesn't feel, Lord, where are you in the quietness? Then worship Him in truth, because He is truly there. And one day, one day, God willing, if you seek Him with all your heart and all your strength and all your mind, He may suddenly shout into your life. When you hear that, you better get ready to run towards Him. <laughs> not away from Him. Will you repent of your spiritual lostness? Many of us are geographically here. Many of us, I've been doing this all my years. I've been slaving in the church, sitting in this committee, doing all these things. But you never once did this for me. Are you doing this out of duty? Or are you doing this out of love? And truth that you do this because it is the right thing to do. Lastly, where do you need to seek? Jesus went out in all the weird places. <laughs> he was condemned for it. Maybe you need to seek out your children and others. No place is too far. Let me end with this one last thought. One of our greatest struggles with the youth, in fact, one of the statistics shared with us yesterday at our planning is that many of our youth are not part of the MYF. They are youth in church and they, say, they might say, yeah, I'm part of our church, we attend church, we do the rituals, but they're not part of the fellowship. And the fellowship is essential for them to journey together. We do sometimes have people say, oh, Sunday is tuition day, or Sunday is uh, dance day or drama day, or I'm really too lazy to send my kids back. You know, I come, I, I, I drop, I, I come for service, the kids come with me, your MYF is later, I want to go back already. So I'm not going to do this. Now, I believe that your youths would benefit because it's not just our fellowship, it's many other things. When I was in Korea, I asked them, how long do you, how many services do you attend? And they said, we believe Sabbath Lord's Day, the Lord's Day Sunday, is for the Lord. 
we spend the whole day in church. Whole day for them, 5 a.m. in the morning. Because that's their dawn service. I say, what time you go back? I say, well, the last service finishes around 5, 4, 5 p.m. So we spend the whole day and we go there. They go for service, they go for Bible study, they have fellowship, they have small groups and so forth. What about you, brothers and sisters? Would you dedicate the Lord's Day to the Lord? Or are we too busy saying, no, 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 in addition to the six days, this seventh day, Lord's Day, I will also do my stuff. And my kids have got a lot of homework to catch up on. SPM year, PT3 year, A-levels year. One day, SWAT, would you seek the lost and would you make it possible for the lost to return? Let us pray.